Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHaze, a seven-figure business consultant and strategist for online fitness coaches wanting to build life-changing companies. Real talk, I wasn't an overnight success and that would make for a pretty boring story. I was fired from my TV reporting career of a decade with just $825 to my name. In just two years, I built a seven-figure coaching business. Now I'm sharing my proven strategies with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Welcome to the Taylor Hayes podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really excited to finally have a podcast with you because it's probably taken at least a year and a half of me trying to convince you. I'll, I'll say a year trying to convince you to get on a podcast. Sure. Um, but you're busy, you know, sure. and you're extra. So we had to get a studio for this That's in right. Atlanta. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. With this background that we love. If you're listening to this, please watch the video because you need to see this room we're in. But <laughs> I wanted to bring you on because when I hired you back in, you know, 2022, very beginning of the year, my business was in a very different place and I was as well. And then looking to where we're going now, it's just night and day how we've grown. And so I know we're going to get into all of that today, but first I want you to introduce yourself because I'm never going to ever get your introduction oh right gosh. ever, but just briefly <laughs> no. let me know kind of how you're yeah. involved in various business types because you're not just the business coach for fitness coaches, right? So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my name is Will Webb uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and basically I am uh, most of the time behind the scenes coaching and mentoring leaders to um, really become category king or queen of their market. And um, it's in various industries, SaaS, e-commerce services. Um, and I think that um, we have a modest kind of holdings of, uh, of companies that we work with. And, um, and, and our goal really is to uh, build businesses for the long term and really push them into uh, the next level. A lot of times when I got into this space, especially the online business space, there was a lot of people who were showing you how to rapidly scale, but nobody who was really teaching leadership, who was teaching, you know, skill sets that were going to actually transcend one specific category. And I really wanted to give people business fundamentals that allowed them to be able to build multiple businesses and have lifelong success. So um, that's, that's why we started. And uh, it's been a whirlwind since, but, um, but yeah, I don't know the, the, I'm not much for formal intros, so that's kind of, that's why it wasn't formal at all with you. <laughs> it never is. I think at my conference, I just was like, and this is my mentor, Will, who does a lot of stuff for a lot of companies and let's go. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, I think people are so curious sometimes coaches I work with people that, that follow me. There's so many business coaches on the internet and they're, sure. they're popping up rapidly. And I think I've always been very transparent with my sticking points, my obstacles, what I'm working on. Of course, I'm not sharing everything, but yeah. I really wanted to have this podcast with you to dive into what we've been working on, my sticking points, how we've overcome those obstacles, and then just future pacing into what's coming um, for people to really understand. Because I think it's easy to see me talk about running a seven-figure business and, and people right. think that, God, I'll never, never achieve that, or Taylor must be so different. And in a lot of ways, I'm not, right? And right. so I wanted to just really kind of bring that to a level of understanding that people can grasp. Absolutely. So let's go back to quarter one, 2022. We've slept since then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You've, you've had a baby since then, gotten married since then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've, I've learned that basically November is just when I can I expect Will to not be available. That's right. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it'll be. I don't know what I'll do next year. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but, you know, when I hired you, I remember thinking, okay, this is going to be my first seven figure year. And I had really solid contracted revenue. 
And one thing that I love about you is we've never really talked about like sales metrics a ton. It's always been fixing. And uh, when I hired you, a lot of things were kind of messy. Mm -hmm. And so what, what did you notice first when you hopped into my business in 2022? Yeah. Um, so this is that part where I get Taylor in trouble and I get to kind of talk about some of the things that, that I witnessed and, uh, you know, and I, I think that, um, we were like in a situation coming into the business where, you know, you didn't have a password for an account or, or something like that, but it was more so like, um, you know, you, you had, uh, delegated a lot without a full understanding of what you were delegating. And then you had a business model that relied on. Um, big heavy launches followed by a series of a lot of trusts and contracts and then MRR, right? And there's nothing wrong per se with that business model. But when we were talking about really what you wanted out of the business and how you wanted to scale, the other thing that I noticed was everything was organic. And for a seven figure business, there's nothing wrong with being entirely organic. Um, but most of the time to get to the next level, you have to be able to uh, really push more mediums. You have to be able to um, scale some of the activities and be able to delegate it to someone where they can actually replicate and even have more success in a particular area than you. Um, and you were exhausted from the launching. You know, you were exhausted from some of the strategies that uh, that that you executed super well, but they weren't serving you anymore. And I saw that, and I saw that internally, if you were to grow top line revenue, there wouldn't have been a strong enough foundation underneath to be able to support it and it would have created this big revenue swing. So instead we favored kind of going a different approach and we talked a lot about, hey, listen, this isn't gonna be your craziest you know, Instagram story about your, your revenue being the lead story. It's gonna be about Taylor's evolution as the lead story. And I think that's a really cool moment because you put a lot of trust in me to, to guide you through that journey. And, and of course now we're on the other side of it. So it's like uh, maybe even more scary, but uh, because now you know what's next, right? But. And I want to talk about that launch model for a second because the launch model served me when it when I was in the midst of that, right? And there are a lot of clients I work with where that is the trajectory for them to maybe hit their first seven figures or whatever high multi-six figure year that is. And so if that's what you love, that's great. However, what I noticed is <clears throat> I was being pushed in, from a previous mentor um, and again, it's, I listened, right? So it's, it's my fault. I executed, but I was pushed by a mentor where it was just like, get the sales, yeah. who cares who it is, right. get the money, secure the revenue, secure the contract. Yeah. And what happened was, you know, we had this offer called six figure fitness coach. And realistically that was designed for coaches that were a little bit past the 5k mark, but they weren't really at that eight to 10k recurring. Sure. And what you and I quickly discovered is why do we have this when FCA could just really be an extension? Yeah. And what I always wanted was a mastermind that took coaches beyond six, yeah. right? And so that's kind of what we developed. But um, what else would you say was something that maybe more specific that you were like, okay, I want to clean up this problem, whether it was an FCA development or six figure, like something like that. Yeah. Well, first off, I, I do want to mention like, one of the things that really pisses me off about this industry in particular is um, all of the marketing that you see to help people create what they call differentiation really means like this doesn't work because this works. Well, this works is whatever they found that works for them. And so ultimately they're trying to silo you into a, a singular strategy. 
and kind of like force-fitting um, a relationship or force-fitting like if you took an Enneagram test and somebody was like, well, the only way that you can be a successful entrepreneur is three. That's just not true, right? That's just BS. And so a lot of times we're led to believe that there's only one way of success. And yeah, there's a sequence that allows you to get somewhere, but the sequence is just a set of ingredients that ultimately bakes the cake that you're trying to create. And, and so when people get caught up with, oh, cold email is dead or, you know, uh, or ads don't work or organic or DMs, like whatever it is, there isn't anything that doesn't work. Now, there are people who don't work. But there isn't actually a thing that doesn't work. It's all about experimentation. It's all about making sure that you're lined up with it and are actually excited to execute it, right? Because, you know, for launching, like that was a great series for you. That puts you in a really successful business to where you could afford to do things that you couldn't have otherwise. And so just because you come in learning one strategy doesn't mean that you should stop learning or that you shouldn't um, evaluate whether or not that strategy makes the most sense. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing I think that I saw specifically speaking about launches and kind of the evolution of that is that FCA was such a, um, you know, it, it was such good material. And a lot of the people that were in FCA were getting really good results, but oftentimes they were ascending too quickly. And so if oftentimes when people ascend too quickly, it's kind of like if I add weight to the rack every time I go to the gym in perpetuity, eventually I'm going to hit a ceiling I'm going to risk injury. I'm going to, I'm going to risk regression, right? It's the same thing that happens in business. If we say, well, the market says that a business program should be 12 weeks. I'm going to make mine 12 weeks too, or I'm going to make mine 18 weeks, or I'm going to make mine eight weeks. A lot of times we arbitrarily decide that, right? The same thing happens with fitness coaches. They say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get you to this result in three months. And I want a three month minimum contract. Well, that's because they, they were taught that there's an acquisition cost. And then there is ultimately a fulfillment cost. And so they were taught that a three-month minimum would give them some sense of security. But the three months need to be predicated on what you're actually delivering. Are you able to get them results in three months or are you just making it up that three months sounds good, right? What's the actual rationale behind it? And so not to throw shade on you, but you had kind of decided like FCA is going to be this arbitrary length. And when they get done with that, they're going to ascend to the next level. And there's two kind of big key learnings there. Not everybody needs to ascend, right? Not everybody needs that next level. I'm never going to be an IFBB pro. That isn't in my cards. I respect those people so hard. It isn't me. It isn't authentic. And so for my trainer to push me further to try to get me on stage somewhere would be an oversight on their part, right? And that's bad. I won't say bad coaching, but that's, that's trying to get more money and not necessarily more outcomes, and that wasn't you from a character standpoint, right? That wasn't you from a, a marketing standpoint. It wasn't you from a sales standpoint. You've always been incredibly ethical in that way. And I think that was the thing that, that I noticed first was, hey, this, this actual pathway that we travel, we're, we're bypassing this introductory piece and we're letting people into this, this six FFC mode, right? This six figure fitness coach mode. And they never passed the fundamentals. So now they're frustrated over here or not. Some of those people came in and they just crushed it, right? And, and so every time we reviewed in detail the people that were frustrated, it was because they didn't learn the fundamentals and they had bypassed that. And then I think there were one or two instances where they actually came through this and then went here and they didn't find uh, where they wanted to be. And when we looked back at it, it was that they didn't dwell long enough. They didn't have the skills actually ingrained in them before they moved to the next level, right? And I'm all about like, doing things that make you uncomfortable and doing things before you're ready. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, right? 
But at the same time, you know, you have to actually learn the skill. You can't just do it for 12 weeks and say that was good enough. Right. And there's a difference, you know, when it comes to FCA, we weren't focusing on the alumni, you know, and I had always had that as part of it, but I really wasn't pushing it. And, you know, we'll talk about the evolution of 4% and all of that in a second, but I remember people were seeing this shiny object and it felt easier for me to say, okay, cool, let's lock you into this contract out of security and fear, which I should have just focused on beefing up alumni, which is what we've done, right? And then tweaking that second offer because when people are staying in FCA longer, they are hitting those 8K, Mm -hmm. 10K plus months. And then they decide right. either, yo, I'm ready to go to 4% yeah. or, you know, this is awesome. This has been great. And so to your point, yes. And I think that in 2021, before I worked with you, everything was so rushed. Like I said, the, the mentor I was working with, really, there was no vision that I had. It was honestly just like, how can I make more money? Right. And what comes after FCA? And there wasn't strategy behind that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so... I want to chat a little bit about what you've mentioned and called this valley of death, right? Yeah. And, you know, insert graph here, but I'm just kidding. That's where, that's where a graphic's going to pop up. No, sure. but uh, anyway, we all, I know, insert graphic, but <laughs> on the way to your first million, right? Only this 4%. Is Sparta scene. Where this is the Sparta scene the well that the, comes in. Yeah. Yes. Right. Only 4% of coaches <laughs> ever hit the 1 million mark, Yeah. which I think is a really, um, I mean, that's a small amount, right? Yeah. And so you've kind of taught me that, well, yeah, everyone has this valley of death. And, and I'm over here thinking, I thought I was just feeling like I'm dying right now, you know? And so yeah. I'll never forget the day that I messaged you. And I was like, why does everything feel so freaking hard? Yeah. Like, what is going on? Like, everything was breaking. Everything felt hard. And I'm not somebody that, that gives up or quits. But I was totally. like, damn, man, I think I'm hitting my brain. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So can you tell me? what that valley of death is and and what that feels like because i don't want coaches listening yeah. saying oh i'm having a hard month it's the valley of death that's not sure. what this is sure yeah it's totally different for everybody um but one of the things that's really cool is it's not just in business it's not just for business owners it's not just you know like we all as humans have valleys of death and they're things that really shape us and create character and So, you know, those moments that you've had where you're at your lowest and you're crying and you don't know a way out and you're just absolutely like overwhelmed with the emotional uh, turmoil of what's happening. um, You have to ask yourself, how often does this happen? Right. Is this something that happens to me every day? That's probably probably not a valley of death. Right. That's just you lacking a little bit of emotional control. Right. If if this is like, hey, you know what? Um, in the last three months, this moment right here um, feels really hard, right? Well, then let's ask ourselves, what about it is hard, right? Did something happen where you lost a bunch of clients all at once? Did something happen where you're learning a new skill and all of a sudden that skill becomes super fearful? Or you realize I'm procrastinating this thing and I'm not a procrastinator. What's going on? Or you're realizing that now I'm on my sixth cup of coffee and I don't really know why, Right. Or um, you are having trouble sleeping at night because of a particular issue that you that you're experiencing in the business. Right. Or even in your personal life, that valley of death that sits in front of you, really what it represents is the biggest, scariest leap that you've taken thus far in that category of risks. So, um, you know, for me, like uh, and and this is just to be be very personal. Right. But like uh, my parents are divorced. 
And, um, and so when it came time to marry Allie, you know, that was a, a valley of death for me. Like I knew this was the woman that I love and, and all of those things were great, but I'm like sitting there and I'm thinking, holy cow, I only, I only get one shot at this because in my mind, I knew that if I ever gave myself a mental out, then that was going to create an opportunity for me to potentially have that out. Right. And not follow through with my commitment. And so I knew I had to be all in. There was no other way. And so that created this valley of death. Right. I had to go over. And so it doesn't matter like, uh, you know, how what I've accomplished in business or any of that. I still have value of death myself. And so what that value of death looks like and how you overcome it is um, first acknowledging that you have that value of death. Most of the time is, um, you know, sometimes it is triggered by a, an event like a business coach saying, hey, will you invest in this program? Right. That could be a value of death. You're like, wow, I've never purchased something that expensive before. Right. And ultimately, you know, you can position it as an investment, but at the end of the day, this is real money that people are spending to get coached, right? And so making sure that, that they look at that and they, and they value it and they understand what they're actually buying and, and they see it as a value of death and they overcome it. That's an example of one. Now, after their business is running, then they're, uh, it could be their first hire where they're like, this person, this, this happens all the time, right? It's a good, nice indicator of value of death. They hire someone and they're really disappointed with that person. Right. And what's happened is, is now that's the first step is that they have to realize that they're in a valley of death moment. Right. When they hired that person, they expected that person to be as hardworking as them, to have as much accountability as them and to immediately understand the business the way that they do, because that's what they needed. They needed an extension of themselves. But in reality, that is a valley of death in leadership because you haven't realized that you don't need an extension of you. You need something new. You need something different. When it comes to systems, when it comes to sales, when it comes to new skills, there's always going to be that valley of death in front of you. So I don't know if I can help clarify that any, but like, it's a big, it's a big thing, big jump. I also think there are going to be multiple instances of that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because I, I can definitely think of several on my uh, scale. However, I don't think that I felt anything like what we're talking about being yeah. truly a valley of death until this past year. Yeah. Um, and, and what I see is when you start to feel this valley of death, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about what I see with coaches, yeah. right? They start to go back in their safe spot, right? Absolutely. Which is what people do. Natural. And so, you know, I'll see coaches where they're scaling, they're hitting multi six figures, they're in their, their best place in business ever. And then all of a sudden a team member quits followed by less signups than ever followed by marketing, not working the way that it used to. Sure. And instead of kind of like latching on to that support that they've had, that mentor, they're like, I'm going to save the money because I'm freaking out right now. Yeah. Right. Like, how do you work through that? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, they, they actually if you look at economic charts, um, you'll notice that the companies that take the most market share in a down economy are the people who didn't slow down. Right. So as soon as people retract their advertising dollars, as soon as people retract their investment in growth, well, of course, you're going to stop growing. You might be able to self-perpetuate your growth for a while, but you have to have outside help, right? I have a coach. You have a coach. Like the reason is because it actually makes a difference. And so from the perspective of like, of, of how to overcome it, you know, those economic charts, literally, it's very clear as day. When you stop investing, whether it's advertising or whether it's, hey, I'm going to lay off a bunch of people. When you do that, your growth will take a backseat. Your margin might improve in the short term, right? And it might give you that safety feeling. But what you've done is you've set your business back six months. You set your business back a year because you weren't willing to ride through that really hard moment and instead took the easy road. 
And you said, you know what? I'm just going to not do it. I'm not going to make the hard decision in spite of hard obstacles. I'm going to let the hard obstacles pass before so that I have the bandwidth, so that I have the capacity to make a hard decision. But in reality, it should be the opposite. When you're at your hardest, that's when you have to make the hardest decisions. It's compounding. And people have to get used to the feeling of compounding. Well, and this isn't a podcast about, you know, hire a mentor or whatever, but yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. really can't <clears throat> I really can't say this enough. The more that I've grown, the more that I have valued that, right? Because right. I, I just don't understand how people assume they're going to build something that is, you know, what most people will literally never get to experience on their own, right? Sure. And I think it's so easy to potentially look at people on their team that are in the business on a day-to-day and end up valuing that more so than the mentor who has created that compounding yeah. knowledge effect, right? And yeah. so I, thinking about like my valley of death and, and multiple instances where the, this last year and a half has been extremely challenging um, with, you know, price increases and whatever else, like I've never once even batted an eye sure. thinking about staying, right? Yeah. Like, because... I know that you have a game plan for things that I literally can't see yet. Yeah. And I think that's what's so important is that as you keep growing your business, right, you're you're focusing on the granular and the day-to-day. And yes, of course, I'm looking, you know, months ahead or whatever, sure. but you're looking five years ahead. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I invest in you to do. I'm like, yeah. well, you've got that, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and so I just think it's so important for that. Now, I want to talk about a few bold moves that we made <laughs> that I was really nervous about um, yeah. and always wanted to. And I think that there were certain things on my bucket list that we accomplished quicker than I thought we would, right? And one being an in-person mm-hmm. event. Interrupting the podcast for just a second to ask you one question. Do you have a clear path to scaling your business? I mean, all the way to seven figures. I want to tell you about Path to 4%. That's my highly transformative, exclusive mastermind for six-figure coaches wanting to make their first million. I know you're totally overwhelmed with all the things it takes to run a business and manage your clients. Your systems have worked up until now, but they're not going to get you to multi-six or seven figures. You know you've got the coaching part on lock. Look at your clients' results. But when it comes to the business stuff, funnels, metrics, and systems, you're totally lost and stressed out. That all changes in path to 4%. I help you create and implement a growth strategy that is customized to your business. And as for the name, well, only 4% of online coaches reach the million-dollar mark. And this mastermind astronomically increases your odds. And you'll work directly with me every step of the way. It's time to put yourself in the room with CEOs and leaders who have done what you want to do because that's the ticket to your quantum leap. Book a free strategy call with me and let's see if this is the right fit for your business. The link is in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. So when I first brought that up to you, when was that? I mean, I think that we we pulled the first It was pretty quick. Out. You were like, <laughs> hey, in three months, I was like, oh, okay. All I right. mean, I, I really don't think it was... Four months, maybe? Yeah, yeah. For the first one? Sure. It wasn't like, we didn't pull events, you know? Events is like a 90-day event. But I, I know that for us, it was like four or five months. Um, yeah. And I was super nervous about that because I had always done a virtual event for my clients every year. And I was like, you know what? It's time to level up, right? Yeah. I knew that Six Figure Fitness Coach was dying. I knew that I had a new offer coming out. And so we took two bold moves, which was... Selling and launching an offer that no one had even heard of yeah. at an event that I had never done. And that sounded like a good idea. So yeah. would love to know kind of your thoughts through that. Yeah. I, you know, I remember those conversations um, really vividly because uh, those are like the, the, the reason that I get excited about what I do. It's like, you know, you're like, hey, I want to do an event. And I was like, okay, well, let me just tell you uh, how much commitment it takes to pull this off. 
And you were like, no, no, it's not to the public. It's for my people. And I was like, okay, great. You're, you're being reasonable. This is good. Like, this is a really good first step, you know? And then, uh, and then you're like, and I'm going to pitch a brand new offer and we're going to kill the old offer. And, um, we're going to, uh, close the doors at the end of the event. Right. And, uh, and I just remember thinking through all that and just being like, all right. Um, and you're doing it next year and you're like four months from now. It's like, all right, cool. Uh, so we kind of go down this process. Right. And like, one of the cool things is there are things that you are absolutely like way beyond your, your level at, like, you know, um, that, that you have skills that just most people would dream to have. And then alternatively, like, you know, the backdrop of the event, it's like, you know, a safety pin, like, you know, <laughs> banner, um, with a, with a, with a black curtain and, uh, the projectors, like, you know, the speakers are walking in front of the projector and, and like all this and, and I just remember being like, yeah, this is cool. This is that moment. This is that first event, you know? And, uh, and then ultimately, like, I think it's important for you to talk about the outcomes of it because I think, um, from my perspective, you know, it was so much less about, um, the, you know, the aesthetic of the event, because I think you picked a hotel that was on brand. I think you had a great room. I think, I think the event was ran well. Um, but you know, <laughs> what was funny to me was, just, uh, you know, like you were like, Hey, who do you know that can just come speak last minute? Let's get these people in here. And it was just like a cool moment. Right. But then after the event, like what, what ended up, ended up happening. Right. So that event, and it's funny when I hear you say these things, because I could give you a reason for everything happening course, the way it did, course. because pulling together an event of that caliber, I knew it was going to be challenging. And I remember even asking you, it wasn't like, Hey, well, I'm doing this. It was more of like, can we pull this off this yeah. year? And you're like, I mean, yeah, but you would probably say that about anything. About well, anything is possible with enough exactly. money and dedication, right? Exactly. So. so I knew I could do it, but um, the outcome of that event was so cool because we had clients that got matching tattoos at that event. Yeah. We had um, – and, and this wasn't just a conference, right? Because when I think of a conference, I'm thinking of you know hundreds of people, name tags, you're by yourself, sure. you might network a little bit, but ultimately you go home and you're, you're on this major high, but then nothing happens after it and you yeah. maybe didn't really build community. And I was like, all right, if I'm with these people for a year plus, I right. really want them to know each other. I want to build community and I selfishly want to meet my clients. And so getting them all together, there was just this energy that I had not seen before. Yeah. And then everyone was so on board with the new offer. They were so excited. So from that event, we ended up getting, you know, tons of clients continuing amazing results from, from that, yeah. um, launching this new offer that we'll talk about briefly. But I think my favorite moment, honestly, was just once it was all over, having the opportunity to just get dinner and go out in Dallas yeah. and just hang out and dance and have fun. Right. Like I see coaches that, that have events, but like I said, they're always so massive. And I, and then I've also seen retreats where it's like at an Airbnb. And again, that, that to me is sure. cool, but I had too many people for that. Yeah. And so I wanted to create something that, and it was inclusive. Yeah. My clients didn't pay to be there. So that to me was also very unique. Sure. And I think that was the moment that a lot of my clients really truly understood how much I poured into them behind yeah. the scenes without them maybe seeing that front yeah. facing because any coach can coach you through Zoom, right? And I do too. But I had never had a mentor that had taken the time to get to know me. Mm -hmm. And that to me was was the the moment that I was like, okay, I've got community. I'd always wanted to build that. Now how can we make it better next year? Right. 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 
I don't know. Is there anything that I did mention that you're thinking of? Yeah. I mean, just, just one thing, like a lot of people, um, the power of community is real and, um, you know, we're, we're like in this post pandemic world where we're used to virtual and that's, that's like what we know. And so we get a few times to connect every year. Um, a lot of people are building businesses, you know, by themselves or with a really intimate team. And it's really hard. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's slow moving when you're alone. If you don't have that community, um, it can make a huge difference. And um, one of the things I just want to call out, because I think it's one of the things even even my clients, like a lot of times are really shocked by is just the sheer cost of an event. Like your event was just for your people. Right. And it was it was what multi five figures. I mean, and, and that's. I mean, I you can know, tell you the numbers, yeah. And, and you, like, well, you and then you went over budget because you were like, I don't want people to have a subpar experience, right? And I, and I respected that because I told you, I said, people are going to remember this experience. They're not going to remember some of those little details that you and I talk about afterwards. They're going to remember the experience and how they felt and the sense of community, right? And so um, I, I was dancing, actually, uh, uh, there, too. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really good video. Time. Right. No, you don't want to see no that. One that <laughs> see. No one that's, has that video. No one has that video. That's good, yeah. I, I had to I had to get good money to burn that video. But, uh, um, but no, it's 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 um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a really great time. And then um, fast forward, you know, you're dancing in the same place the very next year, right? And, um, you know, and so I think it's just really cool. And, and obviously that event um, – you know, was, uh, was also costly. Right. But the way that that event ran, um, you just learned so much of the things that you wanted to change. And, um, and, and the smoothness of that event was just a completely another level. The audience size was another level. Right. And so, um, it's really cool. Yeah. What's funny too, is this year we actually spent, it was either the exact same, yeah. if not a little less. And that was because we had more time and I was significantly more thorough <laughs> with staying yeah. on budget. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think the first year I was less concerned with a budget and more concerned about how do I make this really cool? Sure. Right. Um, so when we think about 2023, right, we, we, 2022 to me was, there was so much assessing, right? When mm -hmm. you get a brand new client, I mean, I know you've done this tons of times, but there was a lot for you to look at, whether it was team, myself, uh, leadership, offers, all of that. And then I think about 2023, we started off with a brand new offer and killed another one, yeah. right? So I would love to know what your thoughts were when I first kind of brought up the idea with Path to 4% and how that was created, how FCA is meant to kind of run into that, why Path to 4% sure. is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the very first thing was um, when we when we zoomed out, we looked at the business structurally. Um, one of the things was uh, we wanted to create uh, an industry leading outcome percentage, right? A success rate that that very few um, could replicate. And so with FCA, it was about how can we make this the best program um, at the best price point and with the most reliable outcomes. And afterwards, then if people aren't ready to go to the next level, then how do we keep them going, right? How do we keep them uh, doubling down on those skills without necessarily having to ascend to, uh, to that next level? And so it was really about um, having a back end that was attached to your front end and then having a true back end um, and then even necessarily a, uh, another offer against that back end. Um, and just having multiplicity without changing the actual offer itself, right? A lot of people were like, oh, I have five offers because I want to appeal to all these people. That's not what we're talking about here. We're actually talking about uh, an actual planned ascension based on the logic of how people actually learn, how people actually thrive, and what people's actual goals are. 
adapting to the personality of the individual. And I think that's so, so important because a lot of programs are designed around this. How many people can I fit in the program? And you kind of said, how many people fit, period, right? Not into my program, but how do they fit? Like, how do we make sure that our content and how do we make sure that our, our curriculum is going to masterfully take this Enneagram 3 or Enneagram 7 all the way through the process in a way that's going to get them results time and time and time again, right? And I brought it out before I was ready, which is, I mean, me in general, but, you know, I think that so many coaches become hyper fixated on having the perfect offer. And like you mentioned, I was like, Hey, I'm going to drop this bomb at, sure. at the conference. Like yeah. it is what it is. And the, the amount of growth that we've had in 4% this year is crazy. I mean, everything that I wanted to add, whether it's, you know, additional support, additional coaches, additional curriculum, um, uh, setter placements, right. like whatever it is has happened. But I knew that wasn't all going to be possible in December of last year. Right. And so I, I think this is just a good reminder, you know, offer evolution is a real thing, right? Yeah. Like if you just put something out there and never look at it again, that's not great. But if you also have been sitting on an offer for a year because yeah. you're afraid to put it in the market, that's sure. also an issue. Sure. Um, but I want to chat about this year in terms of bottom line revenue. So we had a lot to clean up last year and we still did increase about 20% this year, which is awesome. Yeah. However, you know, my trajectory was significantly faster than that yeah. uh, prior. Right. And I think yeah. a lot of people might look at that and think, Oh my God, I didn't grow, you know, 500% sure. again. Yeah. Um, what's wrong with that? And so I, I wanted to ask you kind of what your thoughts were for going into this year, maintaining revenue, why it was so important for what we've got coming up. Yeah. So, you know, um, when you're going to zero, zero to one, right, um, the growth is substantial and it has to be. Uh, you're learning brand new skills, you're applying brand new skills, and, um, you know, not to say that a blind squirrel gets a nut every once in a while. Uh, at the end of the day, like you haven't shown a long track record of success, right? Not you. I'm not talking about you in general, right? I'm just saying like generically, um, when, when people get into business, like, of course, you're going to have success. You're excited and you have this, the, you know, the, the tailwind is there and, um, and you're, you're kind of getting all of this support and all of this and you don't necessarily have bad habits developed. You don't have your interpersonal stuff because all you're doing is following a roadmap. You're saying, okay, X, X, this one, X, this one, X, this one, and now I'm to step four and I'm getting results and yay, right? But um, business gets a lot more complicated over time because the roadmap becomes a lot more conceptual and a, le a lot less uh, in the weeds tactical. And so your job as a leader becomes, how do I take this conceptual vision that I've created and how do I build it all the way down into a specific project plan? And that's a new skill for a lot of people. And I don't really see very many programs teaching how you're supposed to carry a vision as a leader. And so a lot of times people learn like sales and then they you know, take their existing audience and then they sell to all of them and then that gets them that initial windfall, but they don't know how to perpetuate it, right? They haven't actually learned the fundamental skill. And so afterwards, right, even with your business, as we looked at those next levels, what I needed to do was I needed to prepare you to be the best leader that you could be. I needed to prepare you to manage more resources. I needed to prepare you to think about your vision and what we're, what's going to happen if the market challenges that vision. Because I see all too often people say, how can I make the highest margin business? How can I scale this the absolute fastest possible? And you have to ask yourself, are you really in it for the right reasons? You know, if you're scaling it as fast as you humanly can and all you're doing is, is growing top line revenue, then how do the people in your business feel? 
And how do your clients feel? Do they start to feel like a number or do they truly feel good about the service that they're receiving? And so, of course, that's not to say that there aren't good players out there that are that are managing that scale um, in a different way. But most of the time, when I look at those leaders, they've had past successes and this is their second or third business or they've been in it for 10 years. And then all of a sudden they look like an overnight success. And I think that's a really important thing to, to kind of look at. And, you know, my mentor a long time ago told me, um, he said, just because you're struggling at this gate does not mean that the next six won't be easy. It just means that your point of struggle is here. Whereas the next person that's beside you doing the exact same thing at the exact same time might struggle at those other six gates, but this one, they're making it look easy. And so um, you didn't ask about comparison and all that stuff, but you know, when my mentor told me that, I really got to thinking about uh, how our journey through it is unique. And so this might've been your slow year, doesn't necessarily mean next year will be, but everybody has that. Everybody goes through a learning curve where they have to slow down and reevaluate. And if they don't, they're lying or it hasn't come yet. Like, right. I mean, ultimately if you're, even if you go all the way to 10 million and it was just such a beautiful glide path and it was super easy for you and it felt really great, or, or maybe it wasn't easy, but you're like, man, I wasn't that bad. I'm going to do it again. Guess what? 10 to 30 million. That's, that's going to wake you up, right? Because you're going to face challenges that you might not be equipped to, right? Uh, seeing somebody who has a hundred million dollar company get outvoted by their board to not be the CEO anymore after they created the company, that is a completely different level, right? So you can go really far in life and you might realize that your roadblocks are not even here yet, but everybody will face those roadblocks and, um, and how you, how you handle that decision is going to shape your, your ceiling for how much you can succeed. I'd love if you touched on a few things that we worked on specifically this year sure. that were so necessary, are so necessary for us to really triple and, you know, yeah. scale from here. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that you had a really lean team and you had a lot of, um, of activity, but uh, not all the decisions were data driven. And so a lot of your systems uh, weren't really set up with data in mind, right? They weren't data first systems. They were systems designed to have permanent labor attached to them. Um, and, and so uh, there's always in, an in the operational side of the business, there's always going to be labor associated with the activity. But... Um, making sure that you have systems that self-perpetuate, that self-identify problems, that um, show you the data that you actually need to make informed decisions. All of those things are really, really critical to the long-term operation of a business. And we all start with like a spreadsheet, right? And we're, we're looking at the spreadsheet and we're kind of doing some calculations and we have that one spreadsheet that we use and that's it, right? But you had kind of outgrown that. You needed to, to level up. You needed better operations. And you needed to get to a place where um, your your operation could actually show you a path to success and could show you where you needed to stop doing certain activities, right? So there are certain activities that you could hire somebody to be better at than you. And um, and, and you weren't like, uh, you were already very familiar with the concept, right? Of, of delegating and hiring somebody that was better than you at a particular task, but it, like it completely shifting it around to where the data was a priority um, was one of the biggest shifts. The other big shift was just the um, really focusing on the customer journey above all else, making sure that that customer journey is just beautiful because we're in a high ticket space and even people who are selling fitness coaching, unless they're doing it on a $29 a month app, they're also selling a high ticket space, right? Which means that's a luxury experience. 
And so we wanted to really make sure that your experience from start to finish was going to be a luxury experience and because that's what your people deserve. And you've always given them incredible service, but how do we really level up other surrounding aspects of it so that they feel adequately supported through the whole journey? When I think of this year, those are the two things I really think about is delivery and then team build, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that the team is night and day different today than it was a year ago, yeah. um, size and everything else and just skill set. Totally. And so, um, you know, making sure I have people in my business that understand the vision, that are ready to go, you know, the, the distance with me. Yeah. And again, like you said, um, we've changed a lot of things in the back end, which has been awesome. Um, so talking about vision, we've mentioned it multiple times. Let's say somebody is having a hard time figuring out their vision, Sure. right? Whether that's a year into the future yeah. and I'll, let's just start with that. Let's say one to two years yeah. for these coaches that might be, uh, striving for their first six figure year or, mm -hmm. or multi six or whatever. How do you help somebody figure out their vision? Which I know is really hard sure. because I never want to create anyone's vision. I know you don't either. Yeah. So yeah. how, how do you help somebody? Yeah, I think, um, that, that's like a big, it's a big sneaky, uh, thing that, that can happen where, um, you join a program because you want an outcome. Um, and, and so that outcome becomes your vision and that's a really, really slippery slope, right? Because most of the time when our vision is about making money, we're in it for the wrong reasons. And, and that's a cliche thing to say, right? I'm not the first person to say that I won't be the last, but, um, but the real lesson in that is, um, you know, when you're like, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. And you're there at the very, very bottom where you're trying to feed yourself and clothe yourself and put a, a home over your head, you don't have a vision, you have survival, right? And so if you're in survival mode, don't worry about your vision. Just worry about your hustle, worry about your craft, right? Because your vision will come because you don't have the skill sets in order to really understand what your vision is that's unique to you, right? Because you haven't gone through, you might've gone through a lot of life struggles or journeys or, or, or hardships. And so you might have a life vision, but your business is like an infant. It was just born. And so how could you say that, you know, like when we were all kids, right? We said, I'm going to be an astronaut when I grow up. And it's like, that's, that's awesome. Go for it. But like how many of us are actually astronauts now, right? And so I think two things in that is that if you're an infant, don't, don't be so hard on yourself to have this perfect vision, um, grow the skill sets first, get your, your money bag secure so that you can start to be authentic from your positioning. Right. And I'm not saying be disingenuous and be a money grabber, but like get yourself secure first because you can't serve others. If you're at a place of, of scarcity and survival, it's going to be really hard for you to offer the best service and for you to have the best vision. And then ultimately a vision starts to form when you have to have a vision because when it's just you and you have a sloppy vision, it's okay. When you have a team and you have a sloppy vision, then they also don't know how to, to thrive inside of that environment. They don't know what we're trying to accomplish. They don't know what good looks like. And so that's when you as a leader have to really step up and create a vision that makes sense. Um, but also don't be married to this vision is the vision forever. Like, you know, it's not a tattoo. It's, it's fun. Even tattoos don't even have to be permanent. Right. But like, but it's not something that you can't change or iterate. It's just something that you have to be consistent on. Um, because your journey will be, you know, a crazy path, but it should be a series of straight lines, right. And that are then pivots. It shouldn't be a curve because a curve is a lack of attentiveness and a curve is a lack of focus. So it needs to be sprints, right. That are then, uh, almost like a sequence of stars. So, uh, I don't know. So that's how I think about it. And, and as far as like creating that vision, um, 
if you want, I can talk about that. But I just, I think a lot of people rush it and they, they create a vision because people tell them they should. And it's like, you don't need one yet. <laughs> no, I, I actually just, I was on an FCA coaching call um, a few days ago and brought up vision, right? Because yeah. once, once people start to see, you know, results, whether that's whatever that is to you, 10, 25 clients, <clears throat> their first yeah. 5K month, right? They're like, okay, cool. Seven figure business. Or yeah. they just get excited about whatever sure. that is. Right. And I flat out said, you don't need a vision. Like you literally do not need that right now because right now, most of you, your vision is leaving your nine to five. Your vision is matching your salary and that's okay. I can say firsthand, like money drove me the first two years of my business because I had to kind of live like that, right? Now that's not what drives me today. Um, And so understanding that even my clients that are joining Path 4%, making their first six-figure year, they're like, I need my two-year vision. I hear you talk about it all the time. Sure. I'm like, great, but you're not there yet because your sales need work. Your yeah. marketing needs work. And so yeah. if you don't have the basic skill sets, I think that that vision is really frustrating because you start working towards this vision and and everything you do is, is towards that vision, but you're doing nothing that actually serves sure. you right now, right? It's the same thing where a client might tell me, God, I just can't get in the DMs, but then they spent their whole day creating a new lead magnet. Sure. I'm like, cool, who's going to see that? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I just wanted to kind of add that, that I, I do think vision um, is something people get so caught up in yeah. when they may not need that right yeah. this second. Yeah. I mean, the analogy is like you're driving at night and your headlights can only see so far. And so, you know, most of the time when you're starting out, you're driving at night because you're working, you're working during the day, right? Like you're working during the day. So you're driving your side hustle at night and so your headlights are on and you can only see so far in the future, right? And so when you think about it from that perspective, A, you don't need a vision, you need a skill. And, and B, don't get it twisted. Who you help is not your vision. So I help blank do blank in three months is not a vision. That's just your marketing, right? And so don't, don't get those twisted and also know that um, you do want, when the time comes to create a vision, you do want your vision to be exciting for the people you serve. You also want it to be exciting for the people that work with you on that vision, but you also absolutely have to pick yourself up and get out of bed because of that vision. So it has to really be aligned and you make hiring decisions, firing decisions, culture decisions, client decisions, all off of that culture and that vision. So speaking of vision, as we are scaling, uh, which we'll dive into while I'm here, what would you say that you're most excited to work on with me and my business on our scale to eight figures? Yeah. Um, so as a person, as a, as a leader, uh, I think the very first thing is, um, oftentimes we, um, we have fear of human discussions that are necessary. And so, uh, the very first thing is that you as a leader have to set up a success system for your people, your team to where they can come in and be successful as quickly as possible. And then if they are or are not successful, need to get out as quickly as possible. And that pivot into, you know, not thinking about it from a, I need to be loyal to you because you were here in the beginning. It's a, I need you to perform because everyone else is, right? And by the way, sometimes that's on us, right? I mean, listen, I just had a kid. So my team is like really holding me up while I go through a season of of bad performance. And guess what? It's kind of hard to fire me, right? But I have to hold myself accountable and say, listen, this is going to be this, the place that I'm going to be. This is the place that I'm going. And here's the pathway of how I'm going to dig out and fix it. And if your team isn't willing to help help fix their own performance, they got to go, right? And, and I, I know if they're listening to this, I'm sorry, I love you all. But at the end of the day, like, you know, um, the business will grow. 
right? Because we have a solid foundation and we have a solid vision and we have a solid strategy. Um, but the people in the business, they will need to grow with it. And that includes you. So your skill set that is today, this time next year, when we talk about it, it's going to be a very different scene because you will make decisions differently than you do today. And then tactically speaking, inside of the business, you know, you've done a really great job organically, um, but we're going to really uh, pour on the gas with some some paid ads and um, and and paid acquisition in general. Uh, we're going to talk about multi-channel. We're going to talk about um, really omni-style uh, presence with with the way that your business looks and feels. Um, and we're going to really push um, pretty hard on how uh, how much we leverage data in the business and. Um, and then we're going to be incredibly, incredibly uh, difficult around your curriculum. You know, every single person that doesn't graduate, we are going to do a postmortem and we're going to understand exactly why that person didn't get to where they wanted to go so that we never, ever have that happen again, right? Because there's always a way we could have improved the client experience. I learn every day. Anytime we have a client who's un unhappy, it's my fault. It isn't their fault. Because I didn't communicate properly, I didn't set the right boundaries. I didn't. I didn't do something that I could have done. As soon as I start, like, and sometimes, listen. I mean, we all get chippy. We all want to be like, oh, that client, this client, you know, whatever. But like, we don't do that because ultimately, it's on us. It's our our business, and we need to take accountability for it. And that's not you. You you don't have problems with accountability. But um, but I think next year, I'm really excited to watch you really um, lead a, a larger team than than you've ever led before, and to carry a budget that you've never had to carry before. And I think that's a super exciting stage. I think one, something that I've realized recently. So when I, when I go back to when I very first started business coaching in like 2020 ish, um, yeah. I remember, you know, I gave away every strategy that I was doing, right? Like that's yeah. just how it was. But the strategies were like how I got my first five clients, right. things I say in the DMs. Right. Sure. And we're moving into territory, even on this podcast, I know I can just tell that you're like, touching subjects so we're not diving deep because I don't want people to know my strategies. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like we're getting to a place now where things cannot just be extremely transparent. Like here's yeah. my playbook. I, I think yes and no, right? What's cool about it is, is like I have no problem sitting here on this podcast and telling everybody exactly what you're going to do. But here's the, here's the reality. There's five people that that helps and there's 500 people that use well, it as course. a distraction. And that's the biggest risk is like, I love, you know, um, because like my clients, for example, as soon as I learn a, a cool growth hack that I've spent my own money and my own time and my own team experimenting to find, I immediately share with my clients because I want my clients to tell me whether it works, whether it sucks, whatever it is, I want them to tell me that feedback. And then I've got to go back to the drawing board and go figure out something else because they're going to do it better than me in about a week. So I've got to go and, and learn it, right? I got to learn something new. And so for me, like I get excited about the journey of the hypothesis forming and, and going through that process of growth hacking. And, and so I don't have any problem like with you sharing it. What I, what I have a problem with is it creating a distraction for people who aren't equipped to execute it. And, and I think that's a really key differentiator, right? Yeah, well, and also it's not even like the secrecy or whatever yeah, yeah, you want to yeah. say. It's more so I would I will share all of the things that we did that worked this time next year. Yeah. Right? Right. Because it's like you said, I I think I'm unique in the in the fact that I've scaled my business to where it is organically. I don't really know many people that have a seven figure business that didn't run sure. ads to get there. And I know people listening are like, yeah, Taylor, stop telling me to get in the DMs. You know what I mean? Like sure. that's just, um, anyway, so you talk about paid ads and I know that's going to be a, a major strategy for us next year. Um, 
what kind of obstacles do you think we're going to have to overcome or any challenges we're going to face based on just like the industry? Yeah. Yeah. So even before I answer that, like the, the ads thing is such a funny one because like a lot of times people are pressured to scale as fast as possible to make uh, the win story for the coach. Right. And like, I'm not measured that way. And so I don't care. Right. But, but at the end of the day, if you were to scale faster because I pushed you into ads too early, then you would have not had to develop as much of an organic skill set. And so I think if, if I'm, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like looking for nuggets that I really can take away, it's that don't worry about dwelling in one particular discipline too long. Like, don't worry. Ads will be there. And guess what? They're going to change 20 times. By the time you start running ads, they're going to still be there. Or if you had ads that didn't work in the past and now you wrote off ads, maybe it's just not for you. That's totally okay. Right? Like, I think as we go through this journey, like, I am not, uh, there are people that are better at organic strategy than me. Straight up, right? I can admit that openly and it, and it doesn't hurt my feelings, but with paid ads, I crush and that's my skill set. And so why would I not share that skill set with you, right? But I also crush in leadership and some of those other categories and that's why that's where you're, you're getting uh, learning from me, right? And, and so there's other things where I'm going to tell you straight up like mm, podcasts, I, I don't know, you're going to have to go to, you know, my, my buddy Jeff, he's amazing at podcasts, right? Um, so well, I can introduce you. Do I need to call yeah. Jeff? Jeff's great. Um, you but, said that it made me think of launching. Remember, like, yeah, yeah. when was it? End of last year, I'm like, all right, here we go again. And you're like, I'm not even going to look at your launch strategy because you're fine. Yeah, you do great with launches. And, and honestly, it's not my expertise. And, and, and like, I think, you know, I encourage all of you, whether whatever service you deliver, like I encourage all of you to just to just step up and be a little bit authentic about or a little more authentic about if you don't know it, don't be it. Like, just say, I don't know. And be okay with that. And if the client leaves because you didn't know one answer, they were probably looking for something you couldn't provide anyways. It's better to get it out front, right? I am not going to be able to create better content than Taylor. I said it on the podcast and maybe next year, maybe next year we'll, we'll you know, um, but right, like I don't put my focus there. That's not where I put my focus. And so I don't have the scale. And, and so ultimately like um, that's okay, right? For most people. But sorry, as you go to the next question, um, I told you I would stay focused and so I'm doing okay. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing decent. Um, uh, but, uh, so what was the question again? <laughs> I think we've moved on from there. Wait, what obstacles are we going to face this year? <laughs> yeah. You're always going to you're always going to face team obstacles. Um, you know, all business problems are people problems. There, there are no other types of problems. Um, and so, you know, personnel, uh, uh, people's performance is kind of variable. And so, um, right now, like your sales team is on fire. What's it going to look like when we double the sales team, right? Are they going to have the learning curve or are they going to just keep going? I don't know, right? We can't predict the future. We can obviously use data and we can use a lot of our knowledge to be able to get it to where it needs to be. Will it be outperforming of the market? Probably. Will it be, um, perfectly smooth and continue to rise throughout the entire year? Probably not. Same with ads, right? As you launch campaigns, some campaigns are winners, some are losers. Um, you know, some mediums are better than others. And sometimes it's not all about like front end um, customer acquisition cost, right? Sometimes that can be a liar. And, um, and so we have to look at a lot of different variables. And, and so depending on how much education there is through the process, um, as I kind of talk to you about, hey, this is how I interpret this information, um, you know, you and I get to have that fun learning curve where you're going to be telling me how you interpret it. And I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, and we're going to, we're going to not compare for the sake of um, anything but constructive growth, right? We're going to say, okay, well, this is why I don't believe that. Or this is why I think you're totally right and great job, right? And we're going to keep moving forward on that. Um, I think that any time you grow a business 20%, 
stuff breaks in the back end, right? It's just, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Um, and most of the time when people like every now and then I'll have somebody disagree with me and say like, no, no, that's impossible. And I'll go, okay, well, there's six major systems in a business. And if I go through each one of your six, last time you grew 20%, you're going to tell me, or your team's going to tell me that something didn't really work. Right. And so, um, that process, you know, if you want to grow hundred percent, well, then we've got to break it five times and that's minimum, right? Five times. So that's that's a lot that's a lot of fixing that's a lot of troubleshooting that's a lot of updating of documentation that's a lot of hiring that's a lot of things right so it's gonna be fun i mean i'm excited it's just more more problems to solve i think that people will really underestimate that like there's really never been a time in my business where every every single part of it is just smooth sailing yeah there's always something that i'm working to fix or clean up or whatever and i think that people assume that they, they reach a certain revenue mark and then it's just easy. Yeah. I think, you know, I think for some people, um, they do get to a place where it's easy when, um, when they have full alignment in, uh, in what they're doing, when, um, you know, when they're category Kings or Queens, they, um, they own the category. So things, a lot of things are easy for them. Um, but what I want to note is like, there are people who have easy businesses for six months and then they start resting and then they start kind of chilling. And then the next six months is the hardest month of months of their lives because they completely neglected the business. They turned it into a lifestyle business and, and then they stopped doing the thing that worked. Right. And so a lot of people want to like graduate and ascend through the process of being a better leader and yada, yada. And they're like, I can't, I can't reply to a DM because you know, like I need to delegate, like Taylor told me to delegate, you know, and it's like, it's like at the end of the day, like I, I still get in my own DMs and like, and respond to people because why would I not respond to people that I care about? Right? Like it doesn't matter if I'm selling them anything or not. I, I frankly, I'm not interested in selling them anything. I'm interested in solving problems. I'm not even a coach. I'm a problem solver. So I'm approaching everybody with that same mentality regardless. And if it means I have to sweep the floor or I have to talk to the person or I have to step in and fix something, there isn't anything that I can't jump in and do. I know I don't necessarily need to be there forever. But I need to be willing to do that. And um, and so people who are willing to do that, oftentimes they can make an easier run for themselves. But um, but yeah, business isn't isn't easy by any stretch. Um, but it's possible. It's possible. What would you say to the coach who's listening who doesn't matter what level they're at? Could be base level, could be multi-six, yeah. whatever. But the coach who is really just feeling that everything is hard or they have a really hard time regulating their emotions Mm -hmm. around their revenue. So when revenue is high, they're on a high. When sales dip, they want to crash and burn, right? How do you regulate that or help somebody work through that? So um, most of the time we think that, um, we've been trained this, right? Uh, I put a dollar in, I get $5 back. Like that's what the online community kind of preaches is, oh, you want this lever-based lead system and yada, yada, yada. Same can be said for um, sending messages or any strategy. So if I take sending messages, for example, you know, if you sent 50 messages, somebody's going to say, oh, that's an antiquated technique or that's not a method that works anymore. Okay, that's fine. You stop doing it because I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm also going to do cold email and all the other things you said were broken and that's going to work for me. But at the same time, um, when you have a variable in revenue, uh, we're quick to blame the market, right? We're quick to say, well, I sent 50 last month and I sent 50 this month. And, and why is it not getting the same result? And, and it's because you're dealing with people who are talking to other people 
who are going through different stages based on market, based on their own personal journey, based on your quality of sourcing. There's all kinds of variables that you didn't take into consideration because you don't have experience to do so. And so you give up too soon, right? You give up too soon before you create stability. And um, and then the other thing is, is that, you know, secure your back end. Like if your clients are turning over every three months, then you have a problem in your actual fulfillment. So you're always going to be on the hamster wheel, always feeling like you have to sell X amount of clients a month because you didn't secure the people on the back end. You didn't focus on the service delivery. You focused on the sales. And now you've got a business that's built to basically have a leak in the bottom of it, right? And so instead, a better path forward is to make sure that we're delivering excellent service as many times as we possibly can. And then make sure that just because this month's effort was good enough doesn't mean next month's effort is going to be good enough. You might have to step it up. So when it comes to emotional um, security, I encourage everyone to read a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I didn't write it or anything like that, but there's a quiz in it. And it gives you a very practical way to master your emotions. Because if you can't master your emotions, I can directly show you your future. Because you cannot lead others if you can't lead your own self, right? So um, absolutely read that book. Take the quiz. Follow the the one-page, you know, specific things that it's going to teach you how to do. And then move on, right? I mean, that's that's it. Like, you got to fix that. (laughs) You got to address that aggressively. Agreed. Okay. So just a few kind of random questions to kind of tie this up, but what would you say is my biggest weakness in business? Hmm. 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 Don't look around for help. Hmm. I was looking around for help. Um, maybe because I mean, you just have no weaknesses. Uh, no. Um, I think that, um, one of your weaknesses is that, um, sometimes, uh, you get distracted by, the thing that is, uh, it's not shiny object syndrome. You have a a tendency to over-focus on things that are not as important. Um, And I don't know if it's singly your greatest weakness. It's the weakness that comes immediately to mind. So if something happens, um, you know, to you, then it becomes your sole focus and it becomes everything that we're talking about. And, um, And I'll say, well, you seem distracted by this. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm still doing all these other things. And it's like, okay, well, the last five voice memos are all about this topic and they have been for three weeks. So you are absolutely like burning yourself up, whether you are admitting it or not, you are burning yourself up on a topic that does not matter. And, um, and I think, you know, something like that, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, a couple topics I'm probably thinking of, but like those topics mattered two years ago. They mattered three years ago. Very much so, vividly, right? But they don't matter anymore because you're, you're past that. And so, you know, my job is to help you see that and help you get pushed through to the other side. Um, I think other weaknesses is a lot of times um, you'll get singularly focused, which is honestly one of the things I really like about you is you'll just go like all in on this thing, but then you forget about like the five other things. And so, um, you know, so it's, it's like uh, there's both sides to that, right? If... Um, if there's a new emerging strategy in the market, go after it, right? Like instead of kind of like dabble in it and decide whether you want to just go all in, what do you have to lose? Right. And that's where like, I am a little too good at that and probably need to be a little more focused is that I go and chase the great growth hack because I love it. And then I build it and then I move on. But really like the flip side of that is, is go learn the thing because, um, don't teach it to your clients, right? Don't do anything but learn it yourself and then decide 
for my clients, for their situation, how do I want to utilize pieces of this, right? And don't just learn things from our industry, uh, learn it from way other outside industries, right? Like how does a production line work for um, a, a highly scalable productized good? Go learn about it because that skill set will give you some ideas to be able to apply to your business and create a, a complete unique position. And that's not you natively, so I have to force some of that stuff. Oh, I, I will admit all day that I hyperfix it. All yeah. day, every day. You just happen to be the one that gets the boxer memos, you know? Yeah. My parents wouldn't understand what I'm talking about, you know? Yeah, so. if you boxer your parents, that's like, that's, I honestly like kind of respect okay, that. Okay, I'm saying if I, res- I avoid- <laughs> I respect that, like, you know? Like, if I avoid- Like, you've got your parents them. to download an no. app and- <laughs> My parents only have Instagram and I like really want them to have yeah. it so they can watch me, but like, no, they don't. I'm actually um, glad my parents don't have Instagram. It could get a little weird. The comment section would be like, so proud of you, son. No. <laughs> Like, please stop. Get it. It's um, not authority building. My this is not- <laughs> somebody told me I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to look a certain way. So good for uh, engagement. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. None of that surprised me at all. I, I thought that was probably what you were going to say. What yeah. would you say are my greatest strengths? I mean, the same thing, like the fixation. But I think too, um, you really don't want to just pedal crap to make money, like. Um, and, and I mean, that's why we've been able to work together for, for a period of time. Like most of the time clients that don't have substance, I, I like move on from as quickly as I can. People who aren't like really gritty and, and want to actually like change. I don't want to work with those people. Right. And so you want to change, you want to be the best you possibly can for your clients. You want to blow them away and you want to change their life. And, um, and, and that in itself, um, inspires your team. Uh, you honor every commitment you make when you say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get it done. Um, except for the the questions you were late on that, but um, you know these questions. Uh, but uh, but other than that, right? Like most of the time, deadlines crush it. Um, and, and seriously, like all jokes aside, like you you really do nail deadlines. You do what you say you're going to do. Um, and you know, and in this this particular business climate, uh, that's a rarity, un- unfortunately. And so um, so yeah, I respect that. That's really great. What would you say has been your favorite coaching moment with me? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> you right, to look well, for help on that. I know I did. I didn't look for help. I, I looked for. Why are you adjusting your pants? I. I, uh, I can be too. It can, one could be fun. One could be fun. One can be more serious. But I, I mean, they're all fun for me. Like honestly, I mean, I'm sorry. Even when you're like in a in a mode of just it not being good, it's fun for me because I'm just like this is hilarious. Um, and uh, and so I think that um, you know, you so. so you know, you had, um, some particular challenges. Um, and you know, there are certain skills like you don't want to learn. And so you'll like pretty much do anything to not do those specific things. Right. And, uh, and, and so one particular moment, um, where I was like, I was like, why don't you just build it? Like, why don't you just get in there and build that spreadsheet or like do that thing, you know? And, and you were like, I can't, I like, that's why I have people for that. I have people for that. And I just remember thinking like, Oh, you were at that point where you have people for that. Um, and so that, that one was a funny one. I think, uh, you know, some of the funnier ones for me are just like, you know, speech crafting. Like a lot of my clients come to me to help them craft their speeches, um, to be on stage and to have the right presence and to be able to say the right messaging and, and to get the right outcome. And, um, and I think like you're a great speaker. You don't have like, I'm not coaching you on energy level or any of those things, but it's more so like the actual arc of the message and, um, you know, how you're going to, going to communicate it. And, um, and so I, I know like, um, multiple times on the Lorenzo couch in the lobby, uh, 
other people are flooding in and you and I are just like either focused or completely not focused. And people are just coming in and seeing that relationship and seeing that, like uh, that moment. And I think those are really fond memories for me. It's just like a lot of the in-person stuff where, uh, or like the vision where I came back 40 minutes later uh, and you just hadn't done anything. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why is your vision still blank? That is so out of context. That is so out of context. You, you, didn't, you just wanted me to give them the truth. And okay, the whiteboard the did is... not have the full vision okay. after 40 minutes, but let's... she has a vision now. I just want to let the, let the people know. Okay, let's all just, First of all, I said, what do I need to have prepared for us to meet in person? Which it was intentional for you not to tell me that. Yep. I got it, yeah, right? Yeah. Then Will said, okay, I'm going to write down three years. I want you to map all this out in 10 minutes. Yeah. And I said, jokes. Then you came back in and played Jeopardy. Yeah. Which just threw me off. Yeah. So yeah, it was a challenge. I, I admit I could have picked a better soundtrack. <laughs> it wasn't corn, which you think that I like. I, you know. I mean, wait, I was, I was actually, I wasn't going to share my, like my, um, my Spotify in review oh, for the year, you know, because it's, it's so, it's like, I have, I'm not sharing mine. It, no, it's like, I have like a disorder. It's like, I've got like, I've got music in every category possible. And, um, and, and it's just, it's just such an insane like spread. And so I don't even know, I don't even know what you can glean from that, you know? Like I got focus music and then I've got a ukulele baby song that's like, you know, high up there. And then I've got a country song and then I've got like a rap song and then I've got, you know what I mean? A hype playlist. I mean, it's just all over the place. No oh, and then the suit soundtrack. That's pretty good. There's no pop punk in there though. It's because, uh, see the actually deadlines. I don't have a playlist from you. That's. Oh, was I supposed to create one? Yeah. You, you create one, you create play playlists for your clients. So I, and I don't have one. Well, so. yeah, you're not a client. Yeah. Well, note to self, uh, create playlist for Will. Okay. Got it. Got it. That'll be like a little intro to yeah. alt. Yeah. So no corn. Okay. Deal. I don't know why you, that I'll wear my docs when I listen to it. That was my favorite moment. All right. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, anything I should have asked you? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, nothing else. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, um, the, when the time, let's see. Okay. The time that this podcast comes out, um, there will be in the show notes, there will be a link to an Instagram account. It won't be my Instagram account though. Um, it'll be a new Instagram account because, um, starting the month of December, we're going to be donating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We're going to be making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and giving it to somebody um, who needs it for every single follower that we have on that account. So it's a brand new account. Um, every single follower, we make a sandwich and we give that sandwich to someone in need. And uh, I didn't tell Taylor I was going to do that, so she can edit it out if she wants to. But um, every single one of you that follows that account um, will basically be helping somebody eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that needs it. I had no idea you were going to tell me that. Yeah. Wait, we didn't even talk about what we were going to during team build. What? What you're building that's coming out in the oh. new year. All right. Which is directly going to impact my clients, and I think this is so cool. Okay, yeah. I also think feeding people um, is cool, by the way. Feeding but, people is very So cool. now whatever I say after this is not going to be as cool, but um, but I'm going to try. So, uh, yeah, so in the new year, basically, we um, in all of the businesses that we've worked with, one of the key things, at least with the people that, um, that I get most excited about serving, um, are people who want to challenge status quo, who want to deliver outstandingly good services, 
And um, most of the time operations is a weak point. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of different understandings of what operations is. There's typically six categories of systems across a business that, that will help you scale. Um, but it's all about setting the floor, right? So the, the business owner sets the ceiling, but the floor kind of sets that standard. And so the better your operations are, the more stable your business can become. And so um, in 2024, we're basically launching a, a brand new offer um, called operations.co, and it'll be where we literally do done-for-you operations. So we'll put an operator in the business, and, um, and the way that it works is uh, we will look at everything across the business, put in the systems that you need, and um, we'll give you weekly uh, reports of insights that are going to help you to, to actually uh, change your business, you know, so that you understand exactly how many messages were sent, sales calls, all your financials, who, who paid, who didn't pay, like all of, all of the operational minutia, all the automations, all the tech, right? All that stuff is just handled and, um, and, and basically done for you, uh, which is really super cool. And the way that it scales is as your business scales, um, it scales too. So it's basically pegged to uh, an amount of your revenue. Um, the reason we did that was because if you're uh, growing to a seven figure run rate, then yeah, you're going to pay more for operations, but we actually scale the team with you. So we know who to hire. We know exactly uh, how to position them. We know exactly um, what SOPs are needed. And so we've done all that hard work for you to where eventually you have a, basically a fractional COO that's in your business leading you by your side, that's coaching you on leadership and staffing and all of those things, but it's all kind of based on the trajectory of your business. So super, super excited about it. It's, um, it's, it's gonna be epic and uh, it's gonna create some really cool operational efficiencies for businesses. And, and frankly, like a lot of people think of operations as like, oh, I'm gonna hire a VA um, you know, and, and outsource that, or I'm gonna hire an OBM. And, um, and you know, generally like, I don't have any issues, I don't have any issues with OBMs, like I, I really don't, but OBMs um, generally speaking, uh, have an administrative background and they don't have like a systems engineering background. They don't have a technological background. And so oftentimes uh, they don't have any financial training um, a lot of times because they're focused on some of the operational minutia. And so what we realized was that although there's a fantastic, fantastic need for uh, executive assistance and for even virtual assistance to augment certain, st uh, certain staffing arrangements, they're not operators, right? That's not really what they were designed to do. Um, and, and so oftentimes, like when we pass over our Canva workload to someone, that's really more of like a virtual assistant, right? That's not an operator. And so putting an operator in a business is a risk because it's not, um, in the market, it's not completely understood, but, um, but we're hoping to redefine that and we're hoping to, uh, to bring some sexiness to operations and, and, uh, and really help, um, as many people as we can in 2024. I'm excited for this because that's just that's the hardest position I think to hire. One of the hardest. I mean, you could make the argument that a setter or sure, something, but sure. seriously, like the operator is hard because, you know, again, I nothing wrong with an OBM, but that space is getting so saturated that so many people that are just VAs yeah. are are calling themselves an OBM just to charge more or whatever. And to your point, like an OBM isn't doing Canva graphics; they're not just in Asana, they're doing so much more than that. Sure. And I'm really excited because I know my clients are going to be stoked because, well, if they don't know, they know on this podcast now. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. And, and like, you know, the thing about that specific um, area that's interesting to me, I mean, um, there's people who are really incredible teachers of sales. And um, one of the biggest differentiators in my mind uh, that we've seen in businesses that we work with is the operations. 
And so it's the behind the scenes stuff. It's the stuff that is a black box in business that nobody talks about, right? And because they don't talk about it, because it's kind of their secret sauce, then how do you know? Like, how do you know how to improve your operation? Well, most people buy a coaching offer and, and like on the third line of the benefits that you get, they value stack some operation stuff where they share some spreadsheets, right? And like, that's awesome, but they don't really teach you how to be a better operator. And most of the time we're not teaching CEOs to be better operators, we're teaching their team. And so, um, you know, for us, it was really important that um, we put outsized quality resources in a space that's typically neglected and thought of as a cost and turn it around and really look at it as a profit uh, maximizer, right? And so um, that shift in how that's communicated is gonna be really cool to, to kind of unfold. And, and frankly, it's like a lot different of an offer than I'm used to uh, bringing to the market. So I'm gonna have a lot more social media presence with it. I'm gonna have a lot more, like my ads are gonna be very different. Um, the way that the offer actually works is gonna be different than really anything that I've done because most of the time people will tell you like a staffing business like that is not scalable. And, um, and so the only other thing I would say is like, um, in all of our studies, you know, people will place a setter in your business or they'll, um, you know, or they'll provide you a setter, but then they permanently, uh, you know, are affixed to, uh, to that revenue. And both of those work for different reasons. We chose specifically for you to pay us basically in perpetuity for your operator because we study operations and have access to eight and nine figure businesses that, that know how operations work we can take those learnings and put them into your business so that you're not having to worry about it. And, um, and it's not to say that we're going to take away what you know and what you need. Um, we're going to educate you along the way, but, uh, but we just found that like by us and, and the access that we have, you don't want us to just place that person in and drop them off with 12 weeks of training. You want us to continuously educate and coach those people. And that's going to be a huge difference for people's businesses. So, I'm excited. I'm so. excited. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Tailored Hayes podcast. Love the episode? Share it and tag me on Instagram. Have a question? My DMs are always open. Until next time, bye y'all.